Well, friends, um, it's great to see you all here tonight, and I know we've got some people visiting tonight, and if that's you, then a special welcome to you. My name's Stefan. I'm one of the ministry team uh, here, uh, so it's um, good to have you here. I hope we get to meet each other afterwards. Now, I want to say up front um, today that I'm indebted to Guy Mason and his team from City on a Hill in Melbourne. Our By Design series that we're doing over this next term has been modelled off a series that they did last year called Him and Her. And some of the material that I'll be using in this sermon and the other preachers in this series will use um, comes from the sermons and the material from that particular um, series. And so we're very indebted to them. Let me pray for us as um, as we get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, and we thank you so much that you speak to us. We pray now that you would give us um, humble and quiet hearts, wanting to hear your word, wanting to understand this topic, uh, ability to be able to lay aside maybe preconceptions we might have and let you speak to us. And therefore, Father, I'm only too aware that I'm just a, a man, just a person, and I just pray that you would speak through me for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're up to week two in our series, By Design. Next week, we're going to be looking at the story of Eve and considering what God has to say to our world about being a woman. This week, we're looking at the story of Adam and exploring what God says to our world about being a man. Now, I must admit that I'm both excited and a little overwhelmed in tackling this topic. It is, of course, today a very controversial topic in our secular environment. But for me, it's also a deeply personal topic because, and I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I'm a man. I was born in 1970 on the 31st of May. Now, I know what you're thinking. Surely he's not that old. He only looks in his 30s. (laughs) But it's true. Next year, I reach half a century. And on the day I was born, after checking me over, the doctor handed me to my mum and dad and said, it's a boy. (laughs) And just to prove myself to you as a man, I've been cultivating this beard for the last few years to give me some validity to talk on this topic today. Now, I'm not sure what Bruce is going to do next week. We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) Perhaps a razor may be a good start. (laughs) But seriously, what gives me validity to talk on this topic today is not my facial hair and it's not my age or good looks, but my conviction that the God of the universe who created me as a man has spoken And my role is to let him speak to us on this important issue on his terms. And so I want to start in the first book of his word, the Bible, the book of Genesis. Last week, Andrew helped us to see from Genesis 1 that God is powerful, that he is glorious, and that he created this world in love. And we saw at the climax of his creation was the creation of humanity, whom he made in his own image. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's so much that can be said about what it means to be made in the image of God. But I want to start this talk by making the foundational point that when it comes to masculinity, of what it is to be a man, God affirms the real worth, value, and significance of all men. 
Now, of course, this statement also is true for women, but today on the issue of men, God affirms the real worth, value, and significance of all men. All men have been made in God's image. We have all been crowned with his glory and honour. And I want to start here because I think we're living in a moment in time where it's becoming a little bit more um, difficult and men are becoming a little bit more restless when it comes to their place and purpose in the world. And I suspect that um, is in part due to the historical shift regarding a man's role in society. Back in early civilizations like Babylon or Rome or Egypt, a community's ability to survive and thrive depended on their ability to take ground, to build cities, to, um, to care for their families and defend them at all costs. And in these early civilizations, there were clearly roles for women and roles for men. A large part of this came down to a man's courage, his skill and his physical strength. So the majority of men were then, and are still are today, physically stronger than women. Now, there are exceptions, of course, but the majority of men were and still are physically stronger. As a boy hits puberty, his shoulders get wider, his muscles grow mass, and his testosterone rises, which enables him to become a little bit more combative, a little bit more competitive. And we can see how this was put to good use in early civilizations. So back then, if you wanted to move a huge boulder for a building, you'd call a man. If you wanted to defend a stronghold, you would call on the man of the city. And so men needed to be fit. They needed to be strong. This gave men identity and value. But clearly, as we look around us today in 2019, much has changed. And it's led to an identity crisis for men. Where our forefathers will come home late at night with a wild boar over one shoulder and a lion's drawer in the other. Today, I simply need to get out my phone, get up the Uber Eats app, and greet my food at the door. And I can do all this in my Peter Alexander PJs and my Uggies. (laughs) It's hardly the picture of masculinity that those who have gone before us may have had. What's more, since the Second World War, there's been a significant shift in women's identity and role in society. And much of this has been positive for both our understanding of men and women. Women today lead corporations, fight alongside of men in the armed forces, and even lead countries in the political arena, all which would have been unthought of at the beginning of the last century. And at the same time, men have found a place in the home and in the upbringing of their children that was seen to be a role of the women in generations gone by and have enjoyed and benefited from the partnership of women in their workplace. But the knock-on effect of these changes in the role of men and women is that it's left some confusion for many men on their identity and role in this new era and what it looks like to be truly masculine. Indeed, there have even been questions raised as to whether we need men at all. In the New York Times, journalist Greg Hampikian wrote an opinion piece titled, Men Who Needs Them. And this is some of what he writes. With human cloning technology just around the corner, and enough frozen sperm in the world to already populate enough um, many generations, perhaps we should perform a cost-benefit analysis. It's true that men have traditionally been the breadwinners, 
But women have been a majority of college graduates since the 1980s, and their numbers are growing. It's also true that men have, on average, a bit more muscle than women. But in the age of ubiquitous weapons, the one with a better firepower and knowledge of the law triumphs. Meanwhile, women live longer, are healthier, and are far less likely to commit a violent offence. If men were cars, who would buy the model that doesn't last as long, is given to lethal incidents, and ends up impounded more often? You see? That is why the Bible is so tremendously helpful for us men, because it affirms the real worth, value, and significance of all men. Before Adam climbed the corporate ladder, before he battled in war, before he came home with the Medal of Honour, he had the honour and the glory of being made in the image of God. And of course, part of this privilege of being made in the image of God is that God invites the man to walk with him in a relationship of support and care and dependence. But I think you'd have to agree with me that one of the tragedies of modern masculinity is the fierce self-reliance, independence that we see. I am my own man. I stand on my own two feet. Men today want to live like Frank Sinatra, who, when they get to the end of their life, can say with pride, I did it my way. Sadly, this is the voice of modern masculinity. Not only out there, it's in here too. For even we Christian men have grown up learning that the only ones we can truly trust are ourselves. And so this message that we need to trust and depend upon God as a man is not an easy pill to swallow. What's more, we've been made, we've been designed to need others. Remember what we saw last week? As God made the world, we repeatedly heard that it was good. It was good. But then there was one thing. That was not good. Can you remember what it was? Verse 18. The Lord said it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, personally, I know that there is a tendency in me, in my heart as a man, to prioritise projects and to work on solving solutions and problems. But sometimes I miss the unique blessing of doing life with people. As a man, I need other men in my life. I have the privilege of having a good friend that I meet with each week for coffee and prayer. He's a little older than I am and a whole lot wiser and has been a great source of encouragement and challenge to me over the years, particularly in my devotional life as a Christian man. So men, can I encourage you? Life is hard. Life can be lonely. We need other men in our lives to encourage us and pray with us, to confront us and embolden us. But interesting, as we saw last week, God's answer to the man being alone wasn't the creation of Steve, was it? But the formation of Eve. Verse 20, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took out of the man's uh, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she has been taken out of man. I love this scene. 
Up till now, Adam's only had the animals to be friends. But none of them have really measured up as a suitable companion. But when God makes woman, he cries out, At last! This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Now, one of the stumbling blocks, of course, to this little section is this little term, helper, given to Eve. Now, I want you to be honest with me, ladies. How many of you love being called the help or the helper? Hands up. Oh, I think I saw one. (laughs) One. Okay, not many. It's not a very popular idea. Do you know who else is called helper in the Bible? Yes, more specifically, God. In the Old Testament, uh, God is called Israel's helper, exactly the same word. Um, And that help has no sense of inferiority or second-class status. It's actually a word to describe his strength, his love and his power as he comes alongside Israel as helper, as an ally. The other thing that's captured in this word that God um, calls Eve as a helper, he's declaring what women have always known, and that is that we men need help. Now, will men admit that? Of course not. But it's true. All men need help. From the womb to the tomb, we need help. (laughs) And so here's what I think we need to be considering as we go through this series. And that is, how does the uniqueness of a woman complement the uniqueness of a man to bring out his best? And how does the uniqueness of a man complement the uniqueness of a woman to bring out her best? Despite the modern trend to want to deny any gender differences, to view equality as simply being sameness, and with a desire to protect the feelings of those who may consider their gender a little more fluid than static, there have been hundreds of books and scores of research done over the years that show that there are significant differences between men and women. Books like the very popular older book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, by Dr John Gray, PhD. I don't know if you've seen this book. I can remember reading it when I was a young adult, which was only a couple of years ago, as I said, and it was one of those aha moments. And although most of the research admits that they are working with generalisations, that the the spectrum goes from one side to the other and then things cross over, as as there are always exceptions to their findings, it's hard to ignore the weight of evidence that they find. For example, and many of you guys would have heard of this guy, Dr Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist and an internet sensation asserts that um, in the big five meta-studies of more than 100,000 people, they all show a significant difference between men and women on how agreeable they are. Women are generally more agreeable than men. Men tend to be a bit more disagreeable. Now, there are exceptions, and I've met them, but, and here's why I picked this one, which trait of those two traits do you think is more important? being an agreeable person or a disagreeable person. Actually, we need both, don't we? Disagreeable people are happy to challenge the status quo and happy to enter conflict. 
They'll confront difficult situations, even when they know that they will disrupt the peace. They are people who solve difficult problems, who deal with bad performance when they see it, or will confront that difficult person in the streets. We need disagreeable people, but we also need agreeable people, those who value understanding, who value empathy and collaboration and social harmony. For the agreeable person, not everything needs to be a competition. Not everything needs to end in conflict. And in the providence of God, we need both for our common good. Now, there are other traits that differ as well. In general, women are more concerned about body image than men. Now, it's not that men don't struggle with image, but for most men, it's not beauty they struggle with, but strength. A man is generally more concerned that they are seen as strong. And so for you mums and sisters out there in helping your teenage brother or your son to become a man, here's just a suggestion that I've heard. Next time you need to, uh, next time uh, you go to get that jar open that you're struggling to open, give it to him and just step back and watch as he moves heaven and earth to open that jar. And when he opens that jar, just look at him and say, wow, you're so strong. <laughs> I tell you, in that moment, he will feel like a Greek god. He will be a Greek god. Men value strength. And one way of honouring the men in our lives is to celebrate their strength. Celebrate the strength it takes when the man of the house leads their family in prayer. Celebrate his willingness to keep getting up and keep going to that job that he hates or finds so difficult. Celebrate his godly decisions not to run into temptation uh, like his mates do his resolve to live for Jesus, his resolve for purity and godliness. For you see, what we often celebrate in a man, he will become. If you keep telling a man that he's a loser, that he's weak, that he's insignificant, then you may just reap what you sow. But if you honour his strength, if you encourage those godly decisions he's making and tell him that he is loved, then he will fly. And that's so important because the Bible tells us in Genesis that God has put such an enormous weight of responsibility upon his shoulders. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, gave him the responsibility to work it and take care of it. Verse 16, God gave the man the responsibility here to obey his word. Verse 19, God gave the man the responsibility to name the animals. Verse 23, God gave the man the responsibility to name his wife. Verse 24, it was the man who had the responsibility from God to leave his parents and be united to his wife. Now, there's nothing in Genesis that seems to suggest any kind of universal trait that all men have that women don't have. But if you identify one area, one thread about masculinity that runs through this section of the Bible and through the rest of the Bible, it will be the call for men to lift and carry responsibility. This is why we read the accounts in the Bible of men like Noah, who took the responsibility to build the ark to save his family. Men like Abraham, who took responsibility to be father over God's people. Men like David who took responsibility to take his people to war, but also to kneel in worship. Men like Nehemiah who wept over the destruction of his city 
and took the responsibility to go and rebuild the walls of that city. Men like Peter, James and John, the other disciples who took the responsibility to be the leaders of the church, even at the risk of their own lives. Men like Paul, who was set apart to take the responsibility to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. Now, were all these people, all these men perfect men? No. Did they fulfill their roles without the valuable contribution of women? Absolutely not. Yet what stood out for each of these men is that the best of their humanity was on display when they took responsibility to trust God and serve as his representatives here on earth. So men, can I encourage you to take responsibility? No matter what the cost, no matter what the danger, take the responsibility of being part of God's purpose and plan. Recognise you've been made by God. Recognise you're in his image and take responsibility for the world that he has placed us in. Take responsibility for his church. Take responsibility for yourself and for your family. Start with what's in front of you. Is your health failing? Guys, take responsibility to see a doctor and seek a way forward. Are you overweight? Take responsibility in what you're eating and the exercise you're doing. Take responsibility with what you feed your mind. Are you a man who spends time in God's word or are you a man who fills your head with Netflix and porn and anything this world wants to teach you of what you should think and believe? Take responsibility for your relationships. Treat every woman with purity and gentleness. Treat all men with respect and find other men and women who will respect you. Take responsibility in your relationship with God. Spend time in his word. Spend time on your knees. Even if it's just 10 minutes a day, being in the presence of God will change you as a man. Is all this going to be easy? course not. And here's why. We need to go forward to Genesis 3. We're not told um, why God allowed the serpent into the garden. I do suspect that God knew that for Adam to display genuine responsibility, trust and strength, he needed a situation where that responsibility, trust and strength would be tested. Men who have been bubble wrapped their entire lives are surprised by this. But masculinity is not developed by being wrapped in cotton wool. It is refined by fire. So how did Adam deal with the flame when the flame came? Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, it used to be said that when Adam went away, Eve went astray. Friends, that is not true. Look what the Bible says next. She, that is Eve, also gave some to her husband, who was where? Who was with her. Now, man, we need to see this. Where was Adam? He was standing by her side. Did he step up and protect his wife? Did he put the boot in the mouth of the serpent who was tempting his bride and dishonouring his God? No, Adam stood there saying and doing nothing. 
He failed to take responsibility. He didn't do what needed to be done. Instead of stepping forward like a courageous, selfless, sacrificial man, he hid behind his wife, followed her into sin, and acted like a blind and immature boy. And the truth is, I see this same sad story repeated over and over again. Men who are not taking their faith seriously, who don't take up the responsibility of picking up the word of God, who do not spend time on their knees, praying prayers that matter, prayers for God's will to be done. Men who don't step up in the church, but rather sit back like boys and consume. They don't serve, they don't lead, they don't step up and provide to protect. Men who make promises to their brides at their wedding but simply far to turn up in their marriage, abdicating their responsibility in their marriage to sacrificially lead and prioritising their, um, their own needs before hers. Steve Bidoff, the author of the best-selling book Raising Boys, says that the difference between men and boys is that boys care about themselves and men care about others. And so the men who put themselves before others, and particularly their wives, need to grow up. In my experience, I've had to say this to so many men. I've rarely ever had to say it to a woman. Not to say it won't, it's not needed. But men stay boys way too long. I know a bunch of 50-year-old boys in this category. Look, I'm going off script on this one, and I want to say something to the younger men here. We are blessed in this church. We're blessed with two groups of people as younger men and younger women. But what I've noticed is that our younger men... They enjoy being with the other younger men and the girls. They enjoy that time um, of um, their early 20s, mid-20s, getting into their late 20s. But we have a bunch of younger women here in this church who are, counting, are looking at the clock, who are looking at the stage of life they're at, and they want to get serious. They want a man to marry, to have children with. And while the boys flirt around and have fun, the men, uh, the girls, are now starting to get worried. I think, you know, I prayed um, when I ran a church um, in the early days, started a new church. I prayed every week that this church would be a place where young men and young women would find one another and marry in this church. Now, we've been blessed to see that so many times, and I'm really thankful for that. But a little word to the men. It's time to stop being boys and be men for some of you. Some of our ladies are really worried. And can I say, it impacts their understanding of, um, of uh, our God. It impacts their, under- their, their comfort levels in church. The number of ladies I've heard that thinks they need to leave this church because none of the guys are taking seriously the idea of, um, of marriage or of, um, of dating. Now, we're going to be doing a whole talk on dating, and it'll come up in that area as well. But I just want to say, be careful 
This is one of those areas where sometimes we stay boys too long and we need to step up as men. Well, what's the consequence of all this for Adam? Well, in verse 7, we're told that he covers up and hides from God. And then we are told that God calls out to Adam, where are you? Men, where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding in your careers? Are you hiding behind your sport? Are you hiding behind religion? Where are you? It's interesting, isn't it, that God calls out who to? Adam. Despite that it was Eve that started the process and looks like she was the one that initiated the, um, the sin. And it suggests to me, and, it's, and we'll see elsewhere in Scripture um, and in this series, that when it comes to the home, the man is the one given primary responsibility for the spiritual leadership of his family. So when something goes wrong, when something is broken, God will talk to the women, God will talk to the children, but he will firstly speak to the man about these issues. Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat, says the Lord. And how does Adam respond? How does every man respond when called out? Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam does what men have been doing for thousands of years. He blames his wife. Actually, worse than that, he blames God for his wife. And, of course, God will not tolerate this, so he pronounces a series of judgments. Now the man's work will be more difficult. He will be banished from the garden. But notice in verse 16 what he says about his relationship to the woman. When sin has an upper hand in Eve, she'll no longer trust his responsibility to lead but will desire to control him. And yet, when sin has an upper hand in Adam, he will no longer lead in self-sacrificial love, but he'll do what? He will rule over her. So in contrast to the man who abdicates his responsibilities like a child, this is the man who abuses his power and authority like a monster. They were given the responsibility to love and protect women, but they've taken that responsibility and abused women, mocked women, used and exploited women. And the sad reality is, is that this is far too big a picture in our society today. Did you know that one in three Australian women have experienced physical violence by a man? This tells me that it's possibly here in God's church too. Now, I want to say a lot on this. The statistics for domestic violence are horrific, and we need to take this seriously. But we're going to actually bring this up in a later talk in the series where we'll also be launching our new domestic violence policy for our church. But suffice for me to say that forcing submission and any form of abuse in a marriage is wrong, and it is evil. Now, men, we here today, we may not have raped or murdered. We may not have abused the women in our lives, but if we're honest, we know that each one of us have fallen short of the glory of God, just like our first father, Adam. We have done things that we should not have done. We are doing things that we should not do, and we're failing to do what we ought to do. And that is why, men, we need to know the gospel. You see, we can't save ourselves. Men will try. 
We can't make good what we have made bad. We need God. We need salvation. How incredible it is that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our adultery, in the midst of our abuse, in the midst of our neglect, God came to rescue us. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. I love how Jesus completely turns upside down all these definitions that we have today for masculinity. We live in a culture that says you need to be your own man. But you look to Jesus and where do you find him? On his knees submitting to his father. We say to men, have a stiff upper lift, don't cry. Be a man. But what do we see in Jesus? Weeping with those who weep. Here is a man who is tender and sensitive, welcoming to young children, sensitive and caring and honouring to women. He never disrespects them. He never abuses them. He always loves them. Jesus is sensitive. He submits to his father, but Jesus is clearly strong. If you want an image, if you want a picture, a person to look to, to understand your masculinity, what it is to be a man, you only need to look to Jesus. Now, friends, that's not to say that Jesus is not a helpful model for women too. Of course he is. And I encourage you too to look to him. But men, we need Jesus. He is a man who we can trust. He is a man who gives us a vision that's bigger than ourselves and with it will give us challenge and adventure when we choose to submit our lives to him and live by his code in our lives. Well, I'm going to pray for us, friends. I've got to say that um, half my talk is still on my desk. This is a huge, huge topic, as all these topics will be. And so I hope I've answered some questions, but may not have answered all. So feel free to ask. Um, let me pray, and I've got a couple of words to say before we sing again. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you are not silent, that we're not left to our own devices to understand who we are, to understand our identity and purpose, but you have spoken. Father, please help us as men to take serious the responsibilities you've given us, to care for your world, to care for our families, to care for our church. Help us to see that we can't do that without the co-workers, uh, the, the partners you have given us, the allies you have given us in the women around us. Father, we pray that you would um, help us to be relational and take uh, the uh, the other men in our lives and encourage each other and challenge each other and keep each other uh, honest and, and address each other when we need to, to bring each other back to where we ought to be as your children. And Father, we pray that, um, that we men would be men like Jesus, changed, moulded to be like him by your Spirit that when it comes to our relationship to others, we would treat other men with respect, that we would treat 
uh, other women with gentleness, kindness. Father, please help us to be men that show your glory. We thank you we've been made in your image. May we live it out in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, friends, we understand that a series like this one we're doing will raise all sorts of questions and can hit a raw nerve or uncover some deep hurts. Uh, If you've got any theological questions or uh, questions on why the preacher, myself in this case, have said what I've said, then please, um, we encourage you to come and talk to us um, or write us an email and uh, we'll seek to answer those. It's a wonderful thing in our church family to chat to someone who we trust, and I know that many of you do that regularly. However, if the sermon has uncovered some past or present pain and you're keen to talk to someone as to how this sermon has emotionally impacted you, then we've asked some mature friends who are either professionally trained to listening to others or growth group leaders and have been leaders for for many years to make themselves available to listen to you after the service um, or throughout the week. Now, they'll be wearing a lanyard, a red lanyard, and there's a list of people that we've got up there, the pastoral staff, of course, so anybody that's on the team um, are most happy to sit down and listen and talk and pray. Um, But also, can I, um, uh, Keith Pegg, Nola Betts, Braden Lucas, Jamie and Kate Holden, and Anna Massey, we've asked to just be available after this service um, uh, and, you know, to be people um, through the week. Um, that uh, you can have a talk to and um, they are only too happy to listen and pray with you. So um, please um, take advantage of that if anything's been raised or if there's something that you're not, that that you're struggling with um, with any of this, um, that's important. We're going to be saying that every week and so all the topics are going to have little things to say to us and they can actually uh, affect us in different ways. So please take advantage of that. Thank you, team.